Well, good morning. Good morning. I give you greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ as we have come through him to worship our great God. I'd like to especially welcome anyone who is uh, visiting with us. We're pleased to have you here. I encourage you, uh, we do have cards that you'll see in the uh, pews in front of you, or the chairs in front of you. You take some time to fill that out. You can uh, just leave them on your chair or just place them on the table as you leave. If you haven't gotten one of the green bags with um, uh, some gifts we'd love for you to have, we hope you'll pick one up after the uh, service. Now today, particularly if this is your first day here, this is a very special day to be here. It's a great time in the life of the church as our new uh, senior pastor, uh, Jeff Birch, will take the, uh, the pulpit in just a moment. We welcome him and Abby. They've arrived, and sometime they're hoping to actually have their furniture arrive as well. And um, but we're, we're pleased that they are here with us. You want to put May the 23rd on your calendar. Uh, that will be the day of his official installation service. And uh, we'll have two services that day at 9 o'clock and at 11 o'clock. The 11 o'clock will be the time of the actual installation. Now let's uh, prepare our hearts for worship. Good morning, everyone. What a joy it is to be with all of you this morning and to get settled in to our new home. Yes, you could pray that our movers will come any day now. We would love to have that. If not, get used to the same outfit every week. So hopefully it will wear well. 
As Evie and I join with you and prepare to partner with you in ministry here at the lake, uh, we are so excited to be with you. We uh, want to thank you all for the welcome that you have given to us. You have just made us feel so loved and so at home already. We are truly excited to see what the Lord is going to do, and so we are grateful. As we enter into worship this morning, what I truly believe is the holiest and greatest hour for the life of the Christian. I want you to hear this quote from a theologian and philosopher by the name of Jamie Smith, and just kind of paints the picture for us of what is happening, not just what we're doing, but what is happening when we enter into the very presence of God. He writes, worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Listen especially to this next line. Worship isn't just something we do. It is where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. So I want you to understand something this morning. We are entering into the very presence of God, and God is doing something in us this morning. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 95, verses 1 to 3. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Father in heaven, glory be to your name. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we invoke your name to join with us this morning. We surrender to you as you do your work amongst us, as we enter into your gymnasium, as we meet and encounter you this morning. May your name be praised. May your name be extolled. May your name be glorified by your people this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together to sing the great hymn of the faith, How Great Thou Art.
say that's how Presbyterians sing. I'll tell you why, two reasons why I picked that hymn for this morning. One, I think it's one of the great hymns of the faith. And as we are looking at the topic of worship in a few moments, the heart of worship is to extol the greatness of God, to be overcome with the greatness of God. The second reason is a personal reason. It's my first Sunday being here. And almost 33 years ago, when Evie and I got married, what hymn did we sing at our wedding? How Great Thou Art. So that will always have just such a special place to me personally. And you all made me proud. That was wonderful. Our confession of faith this morning is the Apostles' Creed. One of the great things about the creeds is that they portray for us what unites us as a church. What unites us as a body of Christ. And so, friends, family, what is it that we believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 
Let's stand together to sing, Behold Our God. privileges that we have is actually access, personal access, to the throne of grace, where in the person of Jesus, he now rules and reigns. And think about this as we're praying. Jesus Christ lives to intercede for us. So even as we are offering our prayers to him, we are doing so mirroring his intercession, his prayers for us. The model prayer he gave us was the Lord's Prayer. And so let's pray this together as a body, as a community, in unison, and then I will lead us in the pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father, what great words for us to have the privilege to utter upon our lips. That we call you our Father, that you revealed yourself to us, you have chosen us, you have called us your beloved, that we are your treasured possession, that you guide us and you lead us and you protect us and you preserve us and you sustain us, that we are the household of God and the family of God and your children adopted through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallowed be your name. May everything we seek be the setting apart of your glorious name. Your name that is unique. As we read in our call to worship, you are the great king above all gods, so your name is above all names. And so we hallow and praise your name together this morning. And we pray for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that we would be kingdom-minded as believers. That we would not just think about ourselves and our needs, but the needs of our neighbors. That we would seek your kingdom to come, and we would long for the hope of the consummation. The hope of your return. That we would want to hasten that return and say, come, Lord Jesus. And we do ask your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask, Father, that your will would be done here in Greene County and Putnam County, at the lake and the surrounding towns. We ask that this area would look more and more like the city of God. We ask for you to renew this area. Bring many to the saving knowledge of Christ. Those that aren't reconciled to you, Lord, may they hear the good news that you love sinners, that you call those who are broken and flawed and sinful to yourself, that you are about reconciling men and women and boys and girls and families to yourself and to one another. We ask that you would reconcile us to each other. We ask that you would give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who've sinned against us. We think about daily bread and, Lord, we think about the fact that that, yes, refers to our daily sustenance, our physical needs, but also our spiritual needs. So I lift up today. I think of the work of M&A with their disaster response. I think of that mission. I thank you for what they're doing. I thank you for LOPC's involvement in items like Sheds of Hope. I pray, Father, that you would continue to work and bless this ministry. That, Lord, we would be the hands and feet of Christ. I pray, Father, for the daily bread, spiritual comfort and mercy for any who are sick, any who are in the hospital, any who are facing uncertain times, any who are suffering in any way, be it physical, be it emotional, be it spiritual. You are the God of all comfort, the Father of all compassion, who comforts us so that we may comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received. 
Lord, maybe we are supposed to be the means of some of that daily bread to others. And Lord, we pray for the holiness of the church. As Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, we pray that we would grow and become more and more Christ-like, more and more godly, that we would display the fruit of the Spirit, that Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church would look more and more like Jesus, that we'd be more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more good, more faithful, more gentle, and more self-controlled, that our conversation seasoned with salt would display and reflect the realities of the Beatitudes, that we would be poor in spirit, that we would mourn, that we would be meek, that we would hunger and thirst for justice, that we would love mercy, and that we would be peacemakers. And we ask that you would deliver us from evil, personal, corporate. For we pray, yours is the kingdom. You and you alone rule and reign. Yours alone is the power. And we pray, descend upon us, Lord Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yours alone is the glory forever and ever. And we pray in the name of, because of, and through the Lord Jesus Christ, who rules and reigns. Amen.
be seated. If you have Bibles, I'd ask you to turn in them. I know we live in the year 2021, so I also know to say if you have iPhones or Androids or iPads or Kindles or any of that kind of stuff, you can turn in that as well or on the live stream, all of that. But our text this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans 11:33 to chapter 12, verse 2. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Friends, this is the word of the Lord that is given to us by the triune God of love because he loves us. Probably in the last year, there has been no passage that I have prayed for, prayed through, used as kind of an impetus to my prayers more than this one. Beginning with chapter 11, when it describes... You know, Paul, what is he doing? He is bursting into song here. He's bursting into worship. He's saying, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. In other words, he is singing, how great thou art. And he goes on from that to say, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to lay down your life as a living sacrifice, to present your very bodies as a living sacrifice. And what does he call that? He calls your spiritual worship. And he says, don't conform to the way the world operates, its patterns, its ways of thinking. It's more than just have the right information. But don't conform to the patterns of this world. But instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Which again, doesn't just mean, like magic robots, put in the right theology, right information. It means by a whole new way of thinking, a new template, a new paradigm, a new way of thinking. And he says, here's the fruit of it. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. I can't tell you over the last year, as my life has gone through transition and moving from one call to another, how often I would walk our old neighborhood in Florida. I would walk miles per day praying for the will of God, praying that, God, you would tell me what to do and show me what to do. And I'd pray these verses, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing 
you may discern what is the will of God. I believe God has shown us his will. I very much feel called that God has ordained. And, and as we get to know each other, I'll share with you various stories and different things that have led to this point. But I do not have a doubt that God has ordained and called for me to be a part of this wonderful church family, this loving church family, Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. And I'm very excited to be here. Now, if you look at your bulletin each week, as well as the website, see, when you're searching for church, you do things like this. You look at websites, you listen to sermons, you do all this. It's like, what kind of church is this? And I love the vision, vision and mission statement. The vision, which is kind of a heart's aspiration. What do you want to see God do in us? What kind of people do we want to be? And it talks about the fact that LOPC exists to make, equip, and deploy followers of Christ that love their families, neighbors, and their world for the glory of God. And the mission which I don't think we print in the bulletin, but it's on the website, talks about LOPC exists to worship God, nurture and equip God's people, and mobilize the church to build his kingdom. Now, for the month of May, what I want to do is take a few weeks and go through some of the facets of this vision and mission, which is basically asking the question, what kind of church does God want us to be? Which out of that is, what kind of Christians do we want to be? Everyone has a vision for themselves. And I want to point out a key word in that vision statement. See, I wonder sometimes if we really pay attention to vision statements. But I'm going to try to make this as simple and practical as I can. Do you catch the key word that's, that's there? Make, equip, and deploy followers of Christ that, what's the next word, friends? Love. Love their families, love their neighbors, love the world for the glory of God. And even the mission, we exist to worship God. Do you know what that means? We exist to love God. I think Jesus said something about that someday, somewhere, didn't he? The heart of the Christian life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. To nurture and equip God's people. Sounds like... A new command I give unto you, love one another as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And mobilize the church to build his kingdom. Okay, I'm going to make this as simple as I can so you can remember this, uh, so that if you're walking the dog in the neighborhood, if you're eating, and I'll tell you, women's ministry, thank you for some of those gift certificates. I'll be going back to the bistro, by the way. Without a doubt, I'm going, I'm going to be a familiar patron of the Lake Oconee Bistro. But see, here's what, if you join me at the Lake Oconee Bistro, I want us to be able to have it roll off our tongues. So where do you worship? We worship at Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. Tell me a little bit about your church. Well, we are a church that strives. We're broken, we're fallen, we don't do this perfectly. But, but here's what we want to be about. We are a church that strives to love God like crazy, Love one another with all of our warts and flaws. And we want to see the Lake Country be a better place. We truly want to love our community. You think that's simple enough to remember? Love God, love one another, and love our community. So guess what we're going to do this morning? We're going to begin with love God. 
the heart of loving God is worship. I want to share a driving assumption that I have behind this particular vision and mission. And it comes from someone who was a mentor of mine back, geez, way back in the early days for me walking with the Lord. But his name was Jack Miller. And Jack Miller was a pastor and a theologian and a missionary. And he said that the motivational power for everything we are and to do is the glory of God. And this is how Jack Miller described the glory of God. Listen carefully to this. Jack Miller spoke of the glory of God as being the difference between what we can do naturally and what we can do by God's grace. He would then challenge believers and churches as to how much of God's glory they were seeing in their lives. If everything in your life is what comes easy, what can be accomplished naturally, what really doesn't take God to come down, intervene, enter in, and change you, you may be doing wonderful things and good things, but it's not the glory of God. The glory of God is what God can do by the power of his grace. And you notice in the text before us, the center line, you've got Paul bursting into song, and then at the end, you've got his, I appeal to you, brothers, what kind of is the glue that holds that together? Where he says, from, for, from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. Amen. We want to look at these facets of love, these facets of the vision that it has an upward trajectory, loving God, an inward trajectory. I'm not saying inward to ourselves, but inward to our church community. And an outward trajectory, loving our community. And this morning we're going to begin to look at worship as a way of life. That our whole life is one of worship. That our whole life is to be lived to the glory of God. I love how one church put it in their description of their vision. There was a church, and Evie and I would watch some of their live streams from time to time during these months when the pandemic was going on and we couldn't get out and different stuff like that. And they put in their vision that they are crazy about God. Now, I love that. And I want that to be part of our, again, we're at the bistro. You're enjoying a meal at the bistro with me. What's Lake Oconee Presbyterian like? We are a group of people that are crazy about God. Now, what does that look like? From this particular text, and here's where you can turn in your outlines in the bulletin if you're following along, we learn three things about worship as a way of life. Three things in terms of how to go about doing this. The first is we learn that worship is determined by the worth of God. Second, we learn that worship is defined by giving God what he is worth. And third, we, are lear- we learn that worship is driven by a view of the mercy of God. So in other words, we're saying that the heart of worship, if you would, is that it's determined by the worth of God. And then very simply, you determine how much God is worth, and guess what our part in that is? We give God what he's worth. And where do we get the power to do that? By the mercy of God. So let's take a look at each one of these. First of all, worship is determined by the worth of God. Look at the end of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom 
and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Drink this in for a second. This is absolutely glorious. Now, think about the structure of Paul's letter to the Romans for a second. Paul has spent 11 chapters explaining the gospel. He's talked in the early chapters about our need for the gospel, how both Jewish people and Gentile people all need the gospel. So it's universal. We're all in the same boat, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then he's talked about God's solution to our universal need, being in the justifying work of Jesus Christ, how God sent Jesus into the world. I love chapter 5, verse 8, that says, for God demonstrates. In other words, he makes tangible, he makes real. If you ever want to know what does the love of God look like, he said God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then he talks about how we're set apart for God. Then he talks a little bit about history in chapters 9 through 11. So he spent 11 chapters explaining the gospel. And look at what the gospel produces in in his heart. He breaks out into glorious, magnificent song. He breaks out in spontaneous worship with praise and adoration. He doesn't break out. I had a friend of mine back at Reformed Seminary in Orlando. His name was Steve Childers, and Steve would always like to go. Steve would go, here's Presbyterians in worship. Presbyterians in worship, and Steve's Presbyterian. We're not criticizing Presbyterians, but listen to me. Steve, Steve would go, this is Presbyterians in worship. We're sitting there, and the pastor would make a, a pregnant point, and we go, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then maybe... The pastor would make just a tremendous point and the, sit out in the pew and look at our wife and go, hmm. <laughs> kind of like, did you hear that? Are you listening? That is not the Apostle Paul. Now, I want us to be Presbyterian. Don't. Everybody relax. We're not changing or anything like that. But do you know what I want us to be? I want us to be radically Biblical. And Paul is talking about the heart of Christ, the love of Christ, the beauty of Christ, how Christ has come to save sinners, and he's moved to that. And what does he do? He goes, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. It moves him. It affects him. It grabs hold of his heart. He says how unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable. That means how incomprehensible are his ways. Friends, if you think you have God figured out, you haven't even made it to home base. Because the text of Scripture says that God is incomprehensible. He's knowable. By his grace, he reveals himself to us that we truly know him. But the more you get to know him, The closer you draw near to him, let me tell you something. If you're drawing near to God, you're proclaiming with Paul, I don't understand you, God. I don't get you, God. 
your way. And you don't say it out of bitterness. You say it out of work. You know, I can look back over this last year, and at so many points I'm going, wow, God, I don't, I don't get you, but you're beautiful. You're amazing. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. Which means, do you know what we need a little bit in our lives? Humility. I love the line. Somebody asked St. Augustine, okay, church historian, church father from centuries ago. Yes, I like to quote history. Somebody asked him what the heart of the Christian life is. What does it mean to be a Christian? He answered, humility. He said the second thing is humility. And the third thing is humility. I'm afraid we have too many Christians walking around far too certain about their opinions. We need to have a little bit of humility before God, that God's ways are beyond us. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him? Now, Tim Keller defines worship. So if we're saying worship is determined by the worth of God, Tim Keller says that worship is seeing what God is worth and then giving him what he is worth. And he illustrates, illustrates it this way, and I think it's the best illustration I've ever heard or read on this definition of worship. He describes it this way. He says, imagine a woman who inherits a piece of jewelry from her mother. It's been in the family for generations. It's a family heirloom. But nobody really knows where it came from or what it's worth. One day the woman finds it and says, oh, yeah, that old thing? Huh, it was locked away in this drawer. I'll pull it out. Maybe I'll go and take it to the jeweler and get it appraised. So she pulls it out and she takes it and the jeweler comes and what's he do? He puts his little eyepiece in, begins to look at this thing and he's noticing the way the facets refract the light and he's noticing the colors and the textures and bit by bit as he's looking at it, he's noticing and he's thinking about it. All of a sudden, his eye thing pops out he begins to breathe more excitedly, for he can't believe what he is seeing. He realizes this isn't just some ancient heirloom. This is some lost, ancient, unique piece of jewelry. The craft with which this is made, it's priceless. It's unique in its beauty. And the reason why he is so enamored, so engaged, all of this is happening. His mind, his will, his affections, his emotions, is that he realizes the value of what he has in his hand. The worth of what he's exploring determines his response. So let me challenge you with something. How much is God worth to you? Do you examine the riches of his wisdom and knowledge and ways? Do you look at his beauty? Do you look at his goodness? Do you take an inventory and let it affect you. See verse 34 when it says who has known the mind of the Lord Paul is using scripture now to worship God because he's quoting out of Isaiah and when he says who has ever given to God that God should repay him he's reflecting on the words that were used in Job. He is using truth. He's using scripture to meditate on who God is and he's using scripture to see truth for there is no worship without truth 
but this is very, very important, there's also no real truth without it leading you to joyous praise and adoration, genuine encounter and experience of God. You do not study truth in order to just teach it, develop theology, or simply gather information. You do not study truth in a cool, detached manner to be able to make us feel good about ourselves that we more, know, know more than the next guy. To worship God, you have to let yourself be affected by it. Feel its power. Let yourself be challenged, comforted, moved. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. That's why I quoted Jamie Smith earlier in our service and said, when we come into worship, we're not just giving something to God. He's doing something to us because we are being confronted by the living and active Word of God. Right now, God is amongst us doing something. Some of you might be like, yes, this is good. Some of you might be like, I'm never listening to this guy again. Some will be attracted. Some will be repelled. That's okay. God is doing something. We don't come into worship into the very presence of the high and holy God in a casual manner. Worship is not a casual experience. Worship is determined by the worth of God. Secondly, worship is defined by giving God what he's worth. Remember I mentioned to you the structure that Paul has, for 11 chapters, expounded the glorious uh, vision of the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he begins, verse 1 of chapter 12, begins, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Do you know what that means? The word therefore means he is pointing back to everything that he has spoken of. That's, once again, our response to what God has done. Everything in the Christian life is a response. The text we've read says, Who, who's ever given to God? Do you think we really have something that God's saying, oh, boy, I'm thankful those people gave me that today. That's great. They finally got it together. and get, God doesn't need anything. Worship is all about God pours out and gives to us, and then we respond out of the overflow of our heart. So now Paul is pointing back to his entire letter, letter, the entire argument of chapters 1 to 11, how God's grace in the gospel leads to a new life. And here in verses 1 and 2, he summarizes that new life, summarizes the proper response to God's grace that he has spent 11 chapters explaining. This kind of makes verses 1 and 2 a summary of the Christian life. And that summary of the Christian life then is worship as a way of life. And look with me, that worship as a way of life is defined by, first of all, offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, that's odd language, is it not? What in the world does Paul mean when he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God? We have to realize that as he is speaking, as he's doing this, He's speaking to both Jewish and Gentile Christians who would have what? The Old Testament scriptures. And so what he's doing is he's using temple imagery and terminology here. And he's painting a picture for them in their minds. He's saying, I want you to picture a worshiper at the temple. And this worshiper at the temple comes in with his offering. And there'd be several types of offering. So one, for example, might be the sin offering where a worshiper would come 
seeking atonement, seeking forgiveness through the shed blood of the offering. Well, this is obviously not what Paul is talking about here or alluding to here since Jesus is our sin offering. And Paul has spent 11 chapters describing that. But another type of offering was called the burnt offering. And the burnt offering, which would be to sacrifice and offer a valuable animal from your flock. Usually had to be without defect, indicating it was holy. It was your most valuable animal that would be very expensive and costly. And what this indicated, what this showed, was that all that you had was at God's disposal. This offering would represent giving everything to God. It represented total and complete devotion and consecration to God. Nothing was held back. This is what was total surrender. And Paul emphasizes this point by stating that we are to present our bodies, our very selves, as living sacrifice. And this would be so interesting because in kind of the cultural mindset of Greek and Roman philosophy that he was uh, writing to and speaking to, this probably shocked their systems a little bit. Because readers who were brought up in Greek philosophy were taught that the body was bad and only the spirit was good. The body was something you wanted to escape, you wanted to get away from. And spirituality was about cultivating only the life of the mind and the life of the soul. Paul is directly confronting this by saying God doesn't want a passive, detached spirituality, but a total and practical one. He wants everything. Present your bodies as living sacrifices means you come body and soul. You come physically, you come emotionally, you come spiritually, you engage your mind, you engage your emotions, you engage your affections. Does it ever amaze any of you when you read through the Psalms, for instance, in worship? Like we read out of Psalm 95, that's come into the print, come and sing praises, songs of joy, celebration. Other places, clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with cries of joy. Then you have other places where it says, fall on your face, get on your knees. Worship is total and never passive. And then secondly, look at what Paul says. He defines worship as a way of life in verse 2 when he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And again, we have to look at what does God mean here? He's holding up two ways of life, the pattern of the world and the pattern of God's will. And he's saying we are not to conform to the ways or the patterns, the thinking, the feeling, the behaving that characterize this world. In other words, it's, real, it's not a matter of, you know, simple behaviors and stuff like that. It's looking at what are the world's patterns? Things like the world wants to determine its own course. I will determine for myself what makes me happy. I'll be the captain of my own soul, the captain of my own fate, so to speak. I determine my own course. I strive to be in control. I look for ways to have power. We're to look at the pattern of this world and say, no, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To what? To the pattern of the kingdom. Have a whole new mindset about the pattern of the kingdom, the pattern that is defined by things like the Beatitudes, 
where Jesus is describing the kingdom lifestyle. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. 1 Corinthians 13, where he describes love. And in fact, it, he says in the early verses of 1 Corinthians 13, if you have it all together, all faith, all knowledge, every, you, have every, you are a mover and shaker church. You are doing everything, but you don't have love. He doesn't just sit there and say you're batting 350. He says you have nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so worship as a way of life means learning to no longer be conformed to the world's patterns of doing things. The world has a lot of different ways of doing things. Express yourself. Be about, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, how in the world are we going to do this? It's quite a vision, is it? Anyone overwhelmed yet? How in the world do we do this? And this is our last point. I'll be brief here, but this is very important. Don't fall asleep on me yet. Stay with me. Worship is driven by a view of the mercy of God. And again, we need to notice how Paul puts this passage together. He uses two words to indicate our motivation and power for the Christian worship and the Christian life. First, he uses the word therefore to point back to everything he had previously written. Then he says, by the mercies of God. Other translations call it in view of God's mercy. Paul is saying that the only power, the only motivation the only way you are going to worship and cultivate worship in your life as a way of life is by the mercies of God. That means we are to embrace everything God has done for us, all his marvelous deeds done for his people. And friends, this is such good news because essentially what this is telling us, and I have a good friend who puts it this way, he says... We are not working for the love of God. We are working from the love of God. I'm going to repeat that, and I want, you to, I want you to write this down, hear this, listen to the live stream, do whatever you have to do to remember this, because this, in a sense, is everything. We don't worship, we don't live the Christian life, we don't participate on a ministry team. We are not a pastor. We are not a husband or wife. We are not an elder. We are not a deacon. We don't do anything we do in the Christian life. We're not doing to earn God's love. We're not doing it for the love of God. In fact, if you're doing it for the love of God, you will be the most anxious, insecure, or the most self-righteous, proud person ever to walk the face of the planet. You don't ever work for the love of God. You work from the love of God. Out of the love of God, we respond and we worship and we give God praise and we love one another and we're free and we're secure. We're not driven. We don't have, we don't have to be bitter. We don't have to be anxious because God calls us his beloved. I love how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Please memorize, underline, highlight, and as me one of the things as you, when my books finally get here from the movers, and you finally start to see books coming into the study, 
You'll open a book and you will see it highlighted in a thousand different colors. I love my yellows, my pinks, my oranges. I want you to yellow, pink, and orange this. It doesn't say be imitators of God, therefore, so that God likes you. It says be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. That's the fixed, settled fact. You can't run away. You can't outsin. You can't escape being, if you are in Christ, if you have simply said, Father, accept me, God, accept me because of what Jesus has done, and you're trusting in Jesus alone for your approval, your identity, your acceptance, you don't have, you don't have to prove a thing. You know what this, this means? And I can, I can turn over a new leaf. This is my first sermon at Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. I don't have to go home thinking this sermon was a dog, which is always what I'm worried about with every sermon. See, this is pride runs deep. Pride runs so deep. Paul calls this our spiritual act of worship. And he says, in view of God's mercy... Which, do you know what that means? It means the bigger our view of God's mercy, the more we're seeing, the more our hearts are being melted by the acceptance and the delight and the approval of God in Jesus Christ, the more we know that we are defined not by our righteousness, but by the righteousness of Jesus that's been credited and imputed to us, the more we see that mercy in view of God's mercy, our response will be, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. So I want Lake Oconee Church to be a church that's crazy about God, that we're loving God with all our hearts, all our souls, all our minds, and all our strengths. And how are we going to do that? I'm going to put before you, Lord willing, Sunday after Sunday, the mercy and the grace and the love of God. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray for Lake Oconee Church. I pray for our hearts to be worshiping church, that we would, that, that our hearts would explode with a view of your mercy. Father, I thank you that you were present here this morning. And I ask, Father, that as we go forth, you would continue to impress upon our hearts and our minds the wondrous love and mercy of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn, Be Thou My Vision.
benediction in the service literally means a blessing. As we leave, we are receiving the blessing of God. So I want to start something. As I deliver the Lord's benediction, I want us to open our hands like this so that we can be receiving the blessing of the Lord. And so, friends, receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.